So good. This is very much part of church, by the way. This is what it is to, to fellowship. It is to engage with one another. So that's really good. If we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, I'm Tim. I'm the vicar here. If we've not had a chance to meet personally, really good to see you. Uh, we're going to have our reading. We, we look to root our teaching, our understanding of who we are in Christ, in God's inspired word, the Bible. It's um, an ancient set of texts, um, 66 books, all sort of woven together, written over all sorts of time periods by all sorts of different people. Uh, it, sometimes we read it and it doesn't make too much sense first time, but it's not the Bible that's out of kilter, it's, it's us. We need God's revelation and then we recognize what he's saying to us. So um, if you've got a green Bible, the, um, you can feel free to look on your tablet or phone if, you, if you'd rather, although I think books are less distracting because they don't pop up with little notifications. Um, I'm on page 1080, 1080. I'm in the first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Just while you're finding that, he, he wrote a number of letters, we think. He had a bit of a sort of uh, ding-dong with them. He was kind of telling them off quite often, particularly in this first letter, a number of things that they were doing as a church that uh, displeased him, and he, he was trying to bring them in line. Uh, and we'll get a flavor of that. Um, today <clears throat> and just to say too that I'm, I'm, we're going to speak about the unity of the family as we kind of round off the series we've been uh, in the last few weeks looking at the story that Jesus told in Luke 15 of the of the man who had two sons and although we won't I won't uh, get you to, to look at that and reference it directly it's kind of a backdrop that story of the man who had two sons just if you're not familiar with it one son spent all his inheritance wasted it came back, was welcomed home. The older son um, uh, stayed at home uh, and felt a degree of resentment to his younger brother. Um, so there was kind of discord in the family. We've explored the relationships of the son, the father, and um, we'll, we'll, that'll, that'll have reference and bearing on, on uh, what we want to look at today. So I'm going to read um, chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, and then just flip over the page to, to or across the page to chapter 3, and verses 3 to 6. Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you are perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Kephas. Still another, I follow Christ. And across to chapter 3, verse 3. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere human beings? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Quick prayer. Father, simply as we sit in these texts, as we consider your great work amongst us through Christ, by your spirit, we pray. Enable us to see what you are growing in us and in others as you unify your church, as you increase and advance your kingdom in these testing times in our world today. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So um, here's, here's Paul talking, but just again, if you're unfamiliar with this, um, Apollos was one of the early leaders of the church. Paul, another, um, Paul planted or set up a number of these churches and Apollos kind of often would follow him or track him and um, particularly here in Corinth would, would teach uh, and sort of bed in their faith. They, they had, uh, it's believed, slightly different conversion experiences. They came to faith in Jesus Christ in slightly different ways and, and that's possibly why some people favoured Apollos' style or approach. Uh, others favoured Paul and, and so we see just What's this, a generation or two after Jesus' life and ministry, just a few decades after he's taught that story that we've been living in of the, of the father last week from Will. By the way, if you missed last week, I'd really recommend you uh, just listening to it on our YouTube channel. This challenge of the, the father representing God pleading with his older son. Does, does God plead with us? And uh, just a few decades after that story of a, of a father longing for his two sons to be united with him and, and presumably with each other, to, to be included and folded in the family. Here we've got a, a, a church family, a family of brothers and sisters in Jesus' name quarreling, Paul says. Um, chapter 3, verse 3, there's jealousy and quarreling amongst you. You're no different from other people around about. And the church is meant to be the sort of witness, the light of God, of Christ in the world. You're no different. This jealousy, this quarreling, this, this discord, this break of relationship, I want to argue was implicit in, in the story of the running father. Uh, we know it's the prodigal son or the lost son, but the running father, we've been trying to reframe it. Um, we, we see it particularly with um, the older brother. And again, I'm not going to turn back to it, but if you, if you want to, in Luke 15, you'll see when the older brother makes his complaint to the father and he refers to his brother, the, the, the younger brother, he refers to him as this son of yours. He doesn't even acknowledge him as a brother. This is a brother who's been estranged from him. He, but presumably he thought he, he was dead. He'd gone off to a distant land, squandered, his, never heard from him, no idea, presumed missing, presumed dead. His own brother. And when he's making his case to the father, he, say, he refers to his own brother as this son of yours. Very calculated, distancing phrase, isn't it? You can see, you can hear there the break of the relationship. And maybe that's why we, we don't so easily warm to the older brother in the story. And of course, the younger brother, yeah, I mean, he's, he's not like that. Or is he? Because if you remember the story, he goes off far at length, wastes all his money. There he is, destitute, hungry, his famine has come. And there's that wonderful phrase, isn't it? When he came to his senses and he thinks to himself, and he rehearses, we get in the story, the, the, him rehearsing this confession. He said, I'll get up and go back to my father and I'll say to my father, Father, I have one beautiful model of prayer. I've sinned against heaven. So first of all, I recognize that the discord in my life, why all is not well in the world, starting with me, is because of my break with the relationship with heaven, my, my break in the relationship with God. And as a result of that break, so it, it ruptures all the relationships around here. 
And we see that modeled in the prayer. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Anyone else he might have sinned against? Doesn't mention his brother. He's taken the inheritance, wasted it, uh, brought a disrepute and, and uh, the mire on the family name, on his brother. And I've sinned against heaven, sinned against my father, no mention of his other brother. See the, see the break in relationship, both the older son and also the, the younger son. And that's what Paul is picking up here. I wonder in that challenge last week from, from Will's talk, the, the pleading father, I wonder whether the father, i.e. God in heaven, pleads now for, for repair in relationship, for, for deep unity, for, for charitable Christ-like love between brothers and sisters in his church, in his family. That older brothers and younger brothers, as it were, would recognize each other and reach out to the other in unity. I wonder if that's what's on the Father's heart today as he looks across his church. More than just tolerance, more than just putting up with, as you might imagine, the sort of filial relationships, older brother, younger brother, as the younger brother comes home. Lots of things to sort out, the kind of simmering resentment. And more than that, active engagement to build relationship. Not easy. Requires walking a mile in the other person's shoes. The, um, I think it was, uh, I can't remember which, one of the Sunday papers they had in, 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 in the in sort of magazine section. At the back, they used to have a feature um, called A Life in the Day of, dot, dot, dot. And it, it wouldn't just be sort of well-known. Occasionally, they'd have someone in the public eye, someone you'd know, maybe a sort of someone on telly um, or sports or arts or whatever. But very often, it was people you, you, you kind of, what was clever about it, I thought, was you'd never heard of them but you kind of were interested in their job. I remember there was some, someone who headed up a youth hostel. There was a head teacher. Uh, there was someone who was um, the head boy at their school. Um, uh, or sort of captains of industry, different sectors of our economy. People, and you just thought, you know, interesting. I, w I wonder what a typical day looks like. And, and they'd edit it such that, they, you know, they'd talk a little bit about their opinions or political views or what that would be woven into their, a, a typical day a life in the day of. It, it, it gave you a real insight into that person, their life, their role, their relationships, their views, hobbies, and so on. Maybe the challenge is for us to spend more time living a life in the day of others around us, of walking a mile in their shoes, Spending a, a week, as it were, going through their appointments, their diary, working out what it is that makes them tick, what aggravates them, what challenges them, what inspires them, getting to know them. We're coming to the end of a, 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 an Alpha course. Alpha is a kind of practical introduction to the Christian faith. We'll take a break over the summer. We'll run it again in the autumn. I'd really recommend it, either if you're exploring faith for yourself or you, you count yourself a Christian, but just wouldn't mind brushing up on one or two questions. I've found we've had people recently on the course where they're, they're Christians, but I just, I'd love to go a little bit deeper into to, um, uh, what it is that's at the heart of the Christian faith and how I can live an effective Christian life that makes God look good. 
But at the start of the course, we're all strangers. First week, it's always a little bit nervy. Everyone, no one knows anyone. And uh, if I'm honest, there's a part of me sort of leading the course or getting to know people. There's a part of me thinking, ooh, I wonder how this dynamic will work. Um, I, I wonder whether the, these collection of people will get on. And sometimes I've, someone says something or someone else seems to re react or respond, and I think, oh, gosh. I wonder whether you can relate to this, those of you who are in our midweek life groups. When you first joined the group, can you remember? You think, oh gosh, I don't know whether I can imagine myself being with these guys, saying anything, let alone being open, honest. And yet as the weeks progress on Alpha, or as the weeks progress in, in your life, as you, as you kind of commit to engaging with others, do you, have you found, strangely, that people you, you, you couldn't imagine kind of you know, getting along with, let alone calling them friends, you, you actually weirdly discover a strange love for them? A, a kind of connection? Nods in the room <laughs> from three people. <laughs> no, the rest of you are nodding in your hearts. I know. It's true. I, and I, I found at the end of it every alpha course, oh no, it's coming to an end. I'm genuinely sad. I've really enjoyed spending these Wednesday evenings, but more and more as so I've got to know inside uh, everyone in the group. And as people have opened up and been more honest, risked vulnerability, it's, it's kind of held us together. There's a kind of unity. Um, we've got one or two life groups that have, have in, that they've sort of grown out of an alpha course because people so enjoyed connecting with one another and, and meeting with one another, they wanted to carry on. Bearing with one another. And so, as Paul says in another letter, fulfilling the law of Christ. What it is to, to, to live out the hope, the aspiration of, of Christ is to, to bear with one another for the sake of unity too. So there's no quarreling, no dissensions. Okay, how? How do we do that? And, and here, um, if this isn't a bit of a, too much of a segue, I want to, I an interesting, Alpha has kind of informed this a little bit. But other conversations with people exploring faith, sometimes people um, maybe exploring um, the possibility of baptism and joining in the church. And I have conversations with people and I hear a kind of, there's a shorthand, Christian shorthand that I sort of hear and that we can easily adopt that can mislead, I think, and then hinder our ability to relate one to another. And it's around the idea of faith And, and here's, what, here's some of the things that people, people say. They say, oh, in conversation, maybe with me, they, they say, oh, I, I, wish, I wish I had your faith. Or I wish I had a bit more faith. Or I, I, I think I, I need, I don't think I've got enough faith. As if faith is the saving agent for us. We, we, we tend to have this sort of shorthand that we're saved by faith and that it's our faith that saves us. And I understand how that, how that gets sort of comes into being because we, we, we kind of know that it isn't about anything that we do. We can't earn our salvation. It's not about racking up how many times we've come to church or how long we've read our Bible or how effectively we've prayed or whether we've put money in the offertory box and all that kind of stuff. It's not down to, we, we kind of know that, don't we? We know that God isn't impressed by our efforts to impress him. And so we think the, the opposite of that, the juxtaposition of that, is faith. It's, it's not about doing stuff and activity. It's about faith. And so we go, I'm saved by faith, or I live by faith. 
But in, in that comment, oh, I, oh, I wish I had your faith. I, I sometimes, if, if I feel I know the person well enough, playfully suggest that they've got their own faith. They don't need mine. And they sort of look at me quizzically. Oh, I wish I had enough faith. You've got plenty of faith. Have you heard Jesus talking about faith the size of a mustard seed? Have you seen a mustard seed recently? Tiny, tiny faith. Jesus says, I think he's probably speaking figuratively, but hey, who knows? You can tell a mountain to move with mustard seed type faith. Whether we take that literally, what he's saying is, whatever faith you can muster is enough. You have the faith. Every single one of us has faith. Just think about it for a moment. We didn't send out reminders to each and every one of you about the service tonight starting at five o'clock. You, you came because, you know, it usually happens at five, and so you came along. When you came and sat on the chair, you didn't test it out first, sort of checking the sort of pretensile strength of the frame that it would take your weight. No, you plonked yourself on a chair. You sat down, you didn't check it out. When you did that, you exercised faith. Every time you get on a bus, if you don't check the credentials of the driver, you know, have they got a driving license? Do they know what they're doing? Have they got experience? Have they ever driven this thing before? You just assume, trust, exercise faith. We exercise faith in all sorts of different ways, millions and millions of times a day, all the time. We're using faith. The issue isn't whether you've got faith or not. Every single one of you in this room and those of you watching, you've all got faith. The question is, in what or in whom do you place it? You're not saved by faith. Because if that's the case, then every single one of us would be saved. Everyone in the world would be saved. Because made in the image of God, we're created with the ability to trust and believe. Every single one of us has faith. The issue is, in whom or in what do you direct your faith? And here's the thing. And actually, I'd love you to turn just a few pages on. In the Green Bibles, it's page um, 1109. Another letter of Paul to another church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2, page 1108 and 9. And, and listen out for this, because the, 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 the correct understanding here, the long hand, if you like, is not that we're saved by faith, we're saved by grace through faith. Uh, let me just read, just to put it into context, I want to re- read the first 10 verses. Because you'll see the journey, and actually, just coming back to the story, And bear in mind the story, particularly of the younger son, you can track his story against what Paul is saying here. So you can picture the younger son as I read these first 10 verses to you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest We were by nature deserving of wrath. Just pause there a moment. That actually is every single one of us. It it describes the state we were in if we've not come to Christ, if we haven't walked through the butt of first word of verse four. That's, That's where we stand, in the pig pen, as it were. Cut off from God and ultimately cut off from one another. That that is our status. What is it that saves? It doesn't matter how much faith you have. 
Here's what saves you. But, verse 4, because of his great love for us, that's where it comes from, God's great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Here it is. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Faith is not the agent of our salvation. Grace is. How do, we, how do we appropriate that grace, that radical love of God? People say grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Because of the death he died, we can live God's life. He died in our place, setting us free from the penalty, the punishment of sin, in order that we can live a new life with God. Grace God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what saves us. Because of his love, rich in mercy, God's grace saves us. And by faith, we receive that for ourselves. It's not just a concept out there. It's not just like, you know, two and two makes four. I say that, I'm sorry, my, I've just had a, a horse float by. I'm going to just quickly jump on it. My daughter... Um, did a maths degree and it turns out I think it was halfway through her first year she discovered that two and two doesn't make four according to mathematicians at degree level anyway back in the room <laughs> two and two makes four it doesn't change my life it may be true but it doesn't change my life but but this this truth that God loves me and enables me to be rescued from my sin and to come into brand new relationship with him, that I can be rescued out of the pig pen and called home to be a son. Make me like one of your slaves. No, father won't have it. Quick, put a robe, a ring, sandals, kill the fattened calf, let's throw a feast. This son of mine was lost and is found. He was dead, is alive. That's grace. And when the son takes his first mouthful, he's exercising faith. I, Wow, I, I don't deserve to be a son, but I'm eating this fattened calf. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll receive the feast. I'll wear the robe. I'll do that in faith that Father really means it. We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace, which we receive by faith. If we think we're saved by faith, we're tiptoeing down last term sermon series. Heresy. <laughs> Particularly Pelagianism. Because you see, if we think we're saved, we think, oh, I think I've got enough faith to believe. Oh, it's down to my faith. I've got great, oh, how's your faith? Yes, my faith's really good. It's, it becomes a work. What does Paul say in Ephesians? Verse 8, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Yeah, look at my faith. My faith's bigger than your faith. It's probably where the quarreling came from in Corinthians. They start, oh yeah, I believe more than you do. It's all down to me, all down to faith. I'm saved by faith. No, you're saved by grace through faith so that none of us can boast. So tying it in, you think, how, what's this got to do with unity and how we started off? We're all in the same boat. None of us are saved because we're better or worse than anyone else. We're saved because of God's goodness and God's mercy. Every single one of us 
And that's the bedrock of our unity as a church. Because I can't count myself any better, any more superior, any more worthy than any of you. I, I, I might be, I might be a, a full-time Christian. I might have been you know, ordained for how many. I could, I could give you my whole sort of Christian CV. It counts for diddly squat. It's not what saves me. And it's not what goes on sanctifying me. It's the grace of God that makes me more and more like Jesus. It's not, it's not anything about me other than my going with it, cooperating with it as, as the Spirit challenges me, as he shows me things that I need to change or alter. Then as I believe that's from him and act on his gracious uh, conviction of, of my wrongdoing, as I act on that, then I'm operating faith to believe that Christ will continue to change me more and more into his image. But you can do that just as much as I can. Some of you do it better. And when I, when I come back to, when I get rid of the shorthand, save by faith, live by faith, actually I live by grace through faith. God's grace enables me to live. And once I recognize that, it reminds me of the first bit of Ephesians 2, that as for you once, you were dead in your sin. I was, I was dead in a spiritual sense. God has made me alive. And when I recognize that, when I'm rescued, remember the image we had last term, rescued out of the sea, Wow, I'm so grateful for the helicopter crew and the winchmen and the people in the hospital and for the whole recovery. I, I just live out of gratitude. And I see that in other brothers and sisters who are similarly rescued. We were all in the same, I was going to say all in the same boat. It ruins that metaphor, doesn't it? But you know what I mean. All in the same place. Rescued by God's grace. And that's what unites us. Therefore, see, there can be no entitlement in the church of Jesus Christ. No sense of I, 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 you know, preferment, of, of, of I'm better than, dot, 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 in one sense. Because we're all under condemnation out of Christ and saved by grace in Christ. And that's what encourages my faith and grows me. Now, that, that, that story of grace is actually implicit in the, the story of the running father. He exercises grace. We see it overtly to the younger son. Make me like one of your higher servants. Well, no, come on, son, celebrate. But it's implicit in the older as he goes out and pleads with the older son, who's, who's quite dismissive and rude to him, and yet he's still, he longs for him. My son, everything I have is yours. If that's not grace, what is? Everything I have is yours. Please come and join the family on those terms that you're saved by grace through faith. The pleading father for unity in his family because we're saved by grace through faith. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand?